whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a podcaster, writer, performer who loves the Lower East Side Tenement Museum and bookshop. It's Erica Vialba, everybody. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being had. It is it is so nice to meet you. I'm a big fan of your podcast, uh, That Aged Well, uh, which is a hilarious dive into the pop culture of my youth. Oh, uh, good. I'm appreciative of it. Oh, um, I'm very glad. Whatever we can do to make, make uh, Gen X feel better oh, about, yes. about their childhoods, we're, oh, we're here for them. Oh, yes. It works very well. I'm a, I, <laughs> I, am a big, uh, I am a big fan. And we will certainly talk about you and Paul and that aged well and all that stuff. But before we do that, you're here to talk about... Cabaret! See, there, see, the, see what I did there? I did that a was little good. accent. That was nice. I liked that. Welcome, bienvenue. Welcome, Fremda, Etranger, Stranger. Glücklich zu sehen, je suis enchanté. Happy to see you, bleib, rest, stay. Welcome, bienvenue, welcome. In cabaret, au cabaret, to cabaret. How did cabaret come into your life? So I, uh, I'm i from Florida originally. I, I claim to be a New Yorker, but I'm not. Like most New Yorkers, I come from somewhere else. And so I came here for college to study theater directing specifically. And te- I'd never really been a, a, a musical person. I've always preferred plays. And I, uh, I, saw the, I saw the cast of cabaret performing on the Tonys like three months before I moved to New York to go to college. And I was like, okay, that looks cool. I should try to see that. And I became obsessed with it. And it was the first musical that like, like got through to me. And I was like, oh, musicals can be so powerful and so interesting. Um, and I don't know how many folks know this, but there are lots of not-for-profit theaters in New York that if you show up uh, early, you have to sign up, you can't just show up. Uh, if you show up early and you volunteer to, um, to be an usher, they'll let you see the show for free. And Roundabout Theater Company was one of the very few that were doing that and were a Broadway company. So they were doing Broadway shows. So I saw Cabaret five times. Wow. That's a lot. It became a thing. I wrote a paper on it. I was like, well, this is obviously part of my education. So I have to, I have to, you know, I have to justify the amount of time I'm spending watching the show. I paid for it the first time. The, The next Three times were uh, volunteer usher, and then I paid for it the the last time I went. All right, yeah, well, that's pretty. And so you had no experience with cabaret before seeing it on the Tonys. That was the I, big big release with this production. No, uh, but the I had seen the movie. I saw the movie when I was in high school. Ah, okay. Yeah, of course. All right. Of course. And well, the movie's great. Yeah. The movie's wonderful. Mm-hmm. The great thing I think about this is specifically we're talking about the the 1998 Broadway production of Cabaret, which was a a revival of a 1993 show from London, but that's a whole other thing. Um, And I, it's different enough from the movie 
that it almost feels like you're watching two separate stories. I think like some of the beats are the same, mm. but for the most mm -hmm. part, a lot of it is they've changed stuff. Yeah. Cabaret is interesting in its development that way, because the changes from the original Broadway production, which, you know, opened in 65 and, and was revolutionary. I don't want to like say it wasn't, but it was a much more typical musical mm -hmm. than the movie, you know, which comes out in 72 and wins Oscars and is a huge success. And then what Sam Mendes does in the 90s is a sort of amalgamation and also reinvention of those two things. So Cabaret went through this like big 30 year metamorphosis where it's very recognizable. You know, it's not like, oh, my God, it's a totally unrecognizable show, but you know, the so some songs that were cut from the original Cabaret would really surprise you if you've never listened to that cast album before. With yes. like the telephone song, which is like, feels like it's from another planet. If you, if all you know is the 98 revival recording, like that the song dark. would blow your mind. Yeah. Hello. 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 You mean me? They can see you, can you see us? When you like to have a dance, don't get it when the music's hot. Maybe they can talk it over, yeah. Well, of course, why not? I feel like the 98 revival took a lot from the the, the Fosse film, right? Like mm -hmm. the Fosse was like, let's make this like, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Impressionistic, I suppose. Is mm -hmm. that's, or some ex expressionistic. That's the word. Expressionistic. That is the better word. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he, let's make this expressionistic. And I feel like Sam Mendes uh, and, you know, like took that on and kind of kind of created something similar like that for the theater space. And it mm -hmm. was just so it. I mean, I was 18 and it, it blew my mind. It really it blew sure. my mind. Up until then, I think like the only musicals I'd seen live that were were like <laughs> Cats <laughs> and Phantom of the Opera sure. and Miss Saigon. Fabulous, like great, yeah. great in their own ways, like wonderful musicals. I'm not digging on them, but they, they weren't they weren't my jam, and this was my mm -hmm. jam. Sure, and it was yeah, the style was was not to be denied, and was unlike anything I think it, it may be hard for people to sort of understand how wild the style of this was in 98. Um, yeah. Unlike anything you could see uh, on Broadway at the time. I remember that Tony's performance. It was uh, like that, yeah. that year, the Tony's all the nominees had as they always do their performances. The only other one I remember though, was ragtime, which I also right. did see. And if you look at the two of them together, it's like one is from a different planet than the other one. Yeah, very true. Very, very true. I mean, the other shows that were out this year, I mean, it, it is it is kind of a great, in some ways it's a great year because you have, I mean, Lion King, which is still running, obviously. Oh, right. Also, up, which won Best Musical that year. Um, Ragtime, as you said, uh, Sideshow, which, while not a hit, was a very interesting and inventive piece of theater. Um, and then also The Scarlet Pimpernel, uh, which <laughs> was also a show. Uh, but when we've done twice on this podcast, it keeps coming up. The people love Frank Wildhorn, man. He's oh, he's he's definitely a, a human being. Um, and but this one, you know, so Natasha Richardson won a Tony, Alan Cumming won a Tony. Um, uh, uh, what did did Sam Mendes win a Tony? I'm like, he did not. No, he he, Julie Taymor won the Tony, which makes a lot of sense. Oh, uh, I, I had not realized this came out the same year as The Lion King. Yeah. 
what oh, a yeah. year if you think Good about year. it like what when when was the last time you had two like like huge successful like really artistic shows like that like it feels like you get one a year <laughs> generally yeah there were a few there were a few years in the 90s where and in the or late 90s and early 2000s where you had like you like that if you read the nominees you're like oh they came out at the same time like that's that's wild um i mean in 2003 we had avenue q wicked and carolina change all in the same season which that's like true. should we be so lucky in this in this life <laughs> um and the show and nobody and the show that won surprised everybody but it it is that yeah these these things come in waves it feels like a lot of the time and this was just right like the, all those shows share a very distinctive style and a very mm -hmm. like a certain kind of i think the tech is catching up with the ambition in a really interesting way in the late mm -hmm. 90s and people are really starting to incorporate it i mean lion king's a perfect example of this into the show but then also like cabaret being at the newly opened studio 54 and being kind of like leaning into the club aspect of everything and certainly fully taking advantage of the fact that it's at studio 54 even in just in concept like just in being like yeah remember this place was nuts and now we're you're in a different you know club that was also kind of nuts in its own like the studio 54 of its day and you know it, it goes it goes through that whole that whole sort of experience ron rifkin also won a tony i should say for playing hair oh. shots of course. Um, I remember Dennis yes. O'Hare was really good. Michelle Pock. I just remember everyone being so It's a so stacked good. cast. It's and a it, really stacked cast. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was thinking also it would, like when you were saying the 90s were sort of, you know what it reminds me of too in taking it back to film? It, like the auteurism of the mm -hmm. 90s? Of like the, oh, yeah. Maybe, the I wonder film, if, late 90s. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I wonder if that was informing theater at the time too. And they were like, let's give like interesting directors space mm -hmm. to, to sure. do and not say no not automatically say no and not say it's not commercial and just kind of because that seems to be like that's what I was thinking had like they, those all those shows all had in common is there's a certain like autorism to them mm -hmm. you know sure it's kinda, I really never thought about that until this conversation but I was like oh wow the late 90s theater is legit yeah and it is become I mean the directors are really there, I mean, like I say, like we listed off those names, like it's Julie Taymor, it's Sam Mendes, who's won, you know, Academy Awards for directing, obviously it's Scott Ellis, it's Rob Marshall, like it's, it's people you, you've heard of. And these people are, you know, icons of, of the Broadway theater. And this production really is sort of like, I, I don't think it's possible to overstate how influential this was on, because mm -hmm. every single production of Cabaret done after it has to at least acknowledge it in its production it has to like are you doing that are you doing the like straps and weird like you know track marks and sort of like down lower east side vibe or are you not and if you're not like what are you doing it's like it, that's you have to kind of pay respects to it i saw it uh down here in dc at only theater with uh with the great al silver and uh, mason alexander park as the mc mm -hmm. and you know it was it was a production that was sort of leaning a lot more design wise into the film, but in moments would very much track to the, to the, the 98 production in, in specifically in the, in the MC's numbers. I really felt that influence kind of coming through in the design and in the, in the orchestra and stuff like that. It It's just, it, it takes over everything and you can't, you can't ignore it. 
So, you know, that's, I think, yeah. iconic. I think we can call that iconic safely. It's like, it's iconic. So it's interesting too. It's, as I said, I've seen it five times. I've seen four different Sally's, but Alan, oh, Cumming, wow. I saw Alan coming every single time. Yeah. Like that, like that, it, it was almost as though, cause I saw it in the, in the 2014 when they revived the revival the, mm -hmm, again right. and when right. they mounted it again and it was like <laughs> emma stone and uh michelle williams were the right. sallies that i saw then but it's like it doesn't work without alan coming like I this know. particular production like i mean that's i shouldn't say that because i don't i didn't see anyone else maybe neil patrick harris was amazing like i maybe i'm wrong um he but had some really good like, replacements yeah i mean yeah. you're you're absolutely right it is it's a role that I feel like for better or worse, chases him around, mm -hmm. which as a guy who's played a lot of parts in like in movies that have done very well, and he's a famous performer. It's funny that this is the role that chased him and still does. Like you say, like it's, it's wild that he could come back in 2014. I mean, it's, it's 16 years later. And I had he's to look it to up. Play the part, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I remember, I, I was like, "When was the Michelle Williams one?" That must have been like three, four years later. And I was like, "Oh my god, that was so nope. much later." <laughs> it was so much later, and it's yeah. a part that is generally associated with young performers. You know, Joel Gray when he did it originally and won the Tony and the Oscar was, you know, I mean, wasn't a, a, a like twenty years old, but he was you know a younger performer. And as Alan Cumming is here, and then you say it was Neil Patrick Harris. It was um. Michael uh, C. Hall. Too, Michael C. Hall, right? Yes, did yeah. it as well. And you know, it's it's it, it it has a you know the character is kind of amorphous in every single way in age, in in gender identity, in 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 sexual orientation, in attitude. Like the character is a very blank slate. And I, I think it was actually when I heard Alan Cumming was playing, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like the character can be 50. It doesn't really make <laughs> any difference. It doesn't like it, it, that character can yeah. be anything because they are just the presence more than than anything else. You know, yeah, they're just, the as chorus. long as you're charismatic. Exactly. Yeah, they're not. A, it's not a real person. We don't know anything about the MC. We never learn. Right. I, it's interesting, too, is because I think I mean, I would think it would it's followed Joel Gray around, too. I can't think of another yes. part that Joel Gray is. Like super associated with other than the 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 MC, the MC. right? Yeah, it's mm -hmm. almost like it's if you do such a great job in this role, it will follow you forever because people will think it's you. Yeah, and not it, and in a way it is like if you look at the way Joel Gray played it, which was like really sinister, and then like Alan Cumming came in and was like he was still sinister, but it was like flirty and sexy. Like mm -hmm. he just and I feel like anything I see Alan Cumming in, he does that. Right. He puts that wink in it a little bit. That's his sort of stamp on on a lot of his. Yeah. Performances. Yeah. It's a very seductive role. It's a very sexy part and, and kind of omni sexual in that mm -hmm. in that way. And it, it's it's an incredibly clever role the way it's written because you can imagine a version of this show where the MC is is just not interesting, like is just straight a straight narrator. And just, you know, sings the comment songs, but doesn't really have anything of, of uh, well, you know, to say on the on the production. But it, it is a character who lives and dies on personality. And I think in the original production, he was billed six or something. Yeah, I read absolutely. that somewhere. He was billed like fifth or sixth. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. 
That would not happen today. <laughs> no, it's the star of the show. Now mm-hmm. it's the top. Like it's the absolute top billing. But I mean, it, I think, and I think that is owed to Joel Gray. I mean, Joel Gray, from what is the reviews of the original say, and the, and the film, like really stole the show in a very very real way, and it's a very well written part. But he also kind of like took it with both hands, and I think like yeah, didn't let it go. Yeah, I think yeah. the original Sally was also not very interesting. It, no, like no, I'm, I don't also, remember the actress's name, and I'm not going to name check her because I just dissed her. But like, right. <laughs> but like, I feel like that gave him an opportunity to re- like kind of well, be the most yeah. interesting thing on on the stage. So, how was Natasha Richardson as Sally? So I don't. I I think I told you I saw Natasha Richardson, and I realized like yesterday I was. Oh, wrong. that it maybe isn't. Oh, okay. I never saw Natasha Richardson. I oh, I swore wow. up and down I had, and I think it's because I associate her with the role, and I and she's the she's the person I listened to. Mm-hmm. I saw it. I started it with um, Jennifer Jason Lee. I, I saw Jennifer say, Jason yeah. Lee. I saw Mary McCormick twice. That's when I was like Ooh. writing a paper about it. So I watched her twice because I was like really into seeing the show. And then oh, years later, I saw. Oh, I have I have a story about Mary McCormick. And then years Ooh. later, I saw Michelle Williams and Emma Stone. So those are the those are the four. Okay, so those are the ones you've seen. Yeah. I mean, the replacements there were also pretty good. I mean, uh, uh, you had Gina Gershon did it for a little while. It, it it's uh, it, on Broadway in this in this production. Uh, mm-hmm. Jane Leaves did it for a little while. It's a, I mean, this. it's also worth noting, I think, at this point, this revival ran, the, the original was a hit. It ran for over a thousand performances in the 60s. It was a very influential show um, and had this sort of iconic opening that is mimicked in the movie of the, the mirror instead of the curtain, uh, which was like Hal Prince's biggest contribution to the show, it seems, sort of <laughs> legacy speaking. But it, you know, it ran for a long time for then, uh, but this, this, Revival ran for six years. It ran for twice as long as the original production, more than twice as long. And that's remarkable. Like that's Chicago. You know what I mean? Another, yeah. you know, obviously Candor and Ebb property. Um, it's so it's it's incredible to think this thing outran the original by so long for a musical that was at that point over 30 years old. Like it's really and not a toe tappy, good time feeling kind of, you know, this is about Nazis and the rise of fascism <laughs> and the insidious nature and of uh, and the death of love and like all. And you're just like, yes, more, please. More, <laughs> please. All I know. the time. I know. Which is part of its power. What's crazy, too, is I and I like check me if I'm wrong on this, but like how often do you see a revival getting revived again? And it's that revival. So, cause yes. the 2014 production of, 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 uh, cabaret. Yeah. It's was, a remount. Yeah. It's exactly. It's a remount, which I, I can't think of another time that I've seen that, uh, in recent history where like the, it's not a whole new version of cabaret, like the one now with right. Eddie Redmayne and, and, um, I can't remember who the, Sally is in that one, the London one that just happened right. that was like a big right. deal. Um, oh, Jesse Buckley. That's who that Jesse was. Jesse Buckley, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is a, a, apparently just a, a different production completely of Cabaret. Um, I, yeah, to, to, to remount, <laughs> um, to remount something 14 years later, the exact production on Broadway, I, I, I don't know that that's a, that's a revival, right? Cause it doesn't like that's maybe. I guess um, they did that with, Ka- but it wasn't this. It was the same it production. Wasn't this, well, because it was 
the the cats remount was but it was of the original like what you're talking about that's so interesting is it's a revival of a revival it's not a like like you say most revivals are reimaginings of the original or they're homages to the original you know whether they just go straight at it yeah. um but this is a that was the 2014 production was a revival of the revival that had closed 10 years before. So it sort of would be like if Chicago, the current running production of Chicago closed and then in 10 years they reopened it. You know, they did they did th- that Chicago again because yeah. the new Chicago is is different than the original production. And they got um, B.B. Newworth to star in it. To star like, in it. Like yeah, literally exactly right. would yeah. be like get like you'd get, be, yep. the, you know, the star of the first one to do it again, you know? Yes. And then you would have. You would have this because they even use the same poster. Like it's not even mm-hmm. like they didn't. They were like, no, it's the one you were. It's the one you liked. The one you were like, oh, I wish I'd seen that. Well, here it is. Like, come see it. It's here it is with, an, with, with Academy Award nominee Michelle right. Williams. Michelle Williams. And uh, yeah, so but I, I wanted to ask you about the reason I asked about Sally Bowles and and uh, is I I think. I I think that while the MC is like one of the most well written characters ever. In terms of like giving a performer license, you know what I mean? Like there's no depth there, but you could fill it in. Uh, and the supporting characters are pretty good in this show in terms of, you know, they have arcs, they have journey, all that stuff. I think that Sally and Cliff are just about two of the most boring people in, in the American <laughs> musical theater. And that's good while you're watching the show. Like it works in in the context of the show. Cliff, Cliff is very much a blank slate because he's he's our listener. He's absorbing everything. Yeah. And uh, but and Sally is trying to be interesting, which is an interesting thing for a character. Like it's but hard to play. Very hard to play. And that was why I asked how like the, Natasha Richardson was who won an uh, her her Tony for it. And obviously, Liza Minnelli won an Oscar for this this role. It's a tough skate. Like it's not. You sing some great tunes, but the the book scenes in this are just like to make her somebody you care about is really, really difficult, I think, because she's not great. Yeah. You know who nailed it right away for me was um, if that part of it was Michelle Williams of all the mm. of all the Sally's I've seen, because she mm-hmm. it was almost like she was in a different production from everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like the I don't know, like if you've seen it, but she's so the like you know if let's take like Natasha Richardson or Jennifer Jason Lee they're in this sort of like very expressionistic like I said before or kind of like um like Brechtian production of cabaret uh-huh. and Michelle Williams came in and did a straightforward like like I am here to break your heart into per- performance and it was the strangest thing because it didn't fit with the rest of the show when mm-hmm. I saw her I was like oh okay I I'd love to see her version of Cabaret. I'd love to see the production she's doing right now, but mm-hmm. she is not in the same show as anyone else on stage. Um, and yeah, it's, I feel like she like decided she was going to take that role and make it something that was like as empathetic as possible. And it's, it's so hard to do. Yeah, so it felt intentional that choice that she was sort of like I mean, going she's in a, a really, different direction. Really, good, a really actor, good actor. So I'm going to assume right. yes. If it was, yeah someone else i might be like no but she i feel like it was intentional on her part and like and that's what she can bring right she has this like extreme vulnerability that she that she often plays that she goes to that well a lot and so um and she's really good at it so yeah it was but you're absolutely right this the character of sally is like this you have to like skate this line of yeah 
you have to keep everyone at a distance, but try to lure them in at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's very difficult. I really wish I'd seen Natasha Richardson um, uh, because I think this production also, what it did was it's intentionally because is the cast women who really can't sing. Like they're mm-hmm. not singers. None of these women are singers. Right. Emma Stone kind of was a singer, but she was the only one. Um, and if you go to like the 1993 version, Jane Herrick's not, you know, she can mm-hmm. sing, but that's not what she's doing. Like if you watch the videos online of it, she's, she's not singing well and that's intentional. And it's, it's because they wanted to focus, I think so much more on the performance and less on the big splashy Liza Minnelli-ness of the, of the role, you know, and like make, yeah. make it, yeah, make it more of a, of a real difficult performance as opposed to like a fun song and song and dance show well the problem with liza in the role is that sally at least in my estimation is not supposed to be good mm-hmm. at her job you know she's performing in this little club in berlin riding largely on the fact that she's british and or american in the in the movie yeah. obviously do um, we think that's because she couldn't do a british <laughs> I, a thousand percent there's no reason to cast Michael York as, as, as Cliff. <laughs> if you're like, no, they're going to be British. It's fine. No, now we're going to make Cliff British and she's American and that's fine. Like we'll, 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 we'll figure it out that way. Um, Cause yeah, a thousand percent. She couldn't do the accent. I don't want to see her try. I don't, I don't want to see her try to do the accent. It's, you know, but she's coasting on that and she's good enough and that's fine. You know, for her to be the star of this little club and it's, so casting people who can't it's the problem with having Liza in the role is that Liza sings the shit out of it so like what are you Mm -hmm. gonna you know Liza's Liza she's great like we can't tamp that down so (laughs) but I think it's the right choice to cast performers who can carry a tune but aren't you know I don't want to see Sutton Foster play uh Sally Bowles you know what I mean I don't want to see that level of of, I don't want to see those pipes in that part I want to see be the most cheerful Sally Bowles of all time it would be it would be just a a happy-go-lucky Sally Bowles she is kind of happy-go-lucky she's kind of you know she she's you know she's Millie on on drugs a little bit like she's (laughs) Millie in denial probably it would be you know you take Millie out of out of the 20s American put her in 30s Berlin she might end up like she might end up like oh my god it's the same character pretty much yeah (laughs) same haircut so you know I mean you know similar outfits definitely similar philosophies on life I think Uh, wow, we just about it's a major breakthrough. I think we had here. I think I, I think we're I think we've really made done some good in the world. <laughs> I can't wait for the for the for the person who listens to this and is like I'm mounting a, a thoroughly modern Millie Cabaret mashup show in rep. We'll do it in rep. In, yeah, like <laughs> like the first it'll be like it'll be like into the woods where the first act is thoroughly modern Millie, and then you cut after there an you emission, go. And, and you're just and the second the act same, just... same woman is in Berlin in like the 30s. That's the alternate because she went when she finds out what she thinks that that what's his name is cheating on or is is being unfaithful to her. She flees to Berlin <laughs> and sets up in a cab. She doesn't go to work and, and you know sing forget about the boy. She flies to Berlin and sings mine hair instead. That would yeah. be pretty. It's a choice. It's a bold choice a for bold a character choice. to make. If anyone I think here I wants them to, both. if anyone here wants to pay me a lot of money to mount that, I will do it. I will do it. I don't know. That'd be a long show. I mean, we, that would be like a five-hour production, probably. I'm down. I'm well, just saying. You we know. Could, we, yeah, we could we could edit. I, I'm sure we what could is, edit you know, it down to like three and a half. 
hours. I think Broadway fan fiction is really underrated. I think that my She Loves Me chess matchup really needs to like get going that I've been trying to get rolling. I think there are more shows that are like connected (laughs) than than we think there are (laughs) in this world. You know, Fiddler Fiddler on the Roof and Rags. We can get there. We can do these things. These these things are, you know, very similar. Uh, oh, now I'm correct. Now, oh. 1776 in Hamilton. That feels too too on the nose. It's, yeah, right. You, it's like fi- 1776 and paint your wagon. You know, like you got to go. go like there you are. Or Hamilton <laughs> and paint your wagon. My God, <laughs> no one gets out of that alive. That doesn't work at all. I mean, we should really recognize the true Hamilton's true uh, Broadway relative is Diana. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, um, I did not see Diana. Explain, please. No. I oh my not. gosh you haven't it's on netflix you must you simply I must see it i know it's so hello beautiful people editor patrick here so at this point in the proceedings host patrick went on for quite a while about the joys and just sheer visceral excitement of watching diana the musical on netflix that was a lovely conversation that went on for many minutes uh which i have removed here because you've heard him go on about it uh, many many times before but in case you haven't in case you're coming to this new you can go get all of host patrick's opinions on diana the musical from the special emergency episode of the podcast right after host patrick watched diana the musical on netflix and had to take to the airwaves to tell you all about it there is a link to that episode in the show notes so now we will rejoin this episode after host patrick has finished pontificating about diana the musical so I wanted to ask you about um, a, a cabaret question that plagues me a little bit, mm-hmm. um, which is the transformation of the character of the MC in terms of what he is meant to represent. So when you saw, I know how the 2014 re- re- remounted revival ends, but in the the 98 one, does it end with him going to concentration camp with a ups- the pink triangle? Okay. So I I think he's wearing like he definitely has a pink triangle. In the so I, I I can't remember this off the top of my head, but I think he also has the Star of David on. I think he's okay. he's, he's got that and and there might be more. Like they they put a, like a lot of a that mosaic icon- of yeah, yeah, like that iconography on him in that. Yeah, that's how it ends. That's okay. a good question because the if you compare it to like the Joel Gray production, like the the Joel Gray version of the like yeah. where he is basically a manifestation of the cancer that's building underneath Berlin. Yeah, he's right? Hitler. He's basically supposed to be a stand-in for Hitler. He's this tiny little absurd-looking figure who slowly takes over the show, and the movie is a little bit is that way as well where he's he seems to be much more of like a, almost a quasi supernatural force mm-hmm. who is luring you down the garden path as the thing progresses to when it gets to the end and he's like see wasn't that great and like the whole in the movie the whole audience is full of nazis and like this they've just totally taken over the the the, the cabaret but in yeah so in the 98 and the 2014 and also in the productions I've seen subsequently he the the MC is becomes as the show goes on more of a character and even gets the song I don't care much as an actual like not a detached you know cabaret number like two ladies or or if you could see her how I see her all those it's like an actual musical theater moment
why they chose to do that. I think yeah. possibly to implicate everyone. Like we, like mm-hmm. no one is going to escape from this. No. Well, Dennis O'Hare's character is. I can't remember the character's name now, but uh, he he'll get out of this fine. But like, because he's an actual Nazi. Um, I was gonna say he's a bad guy. Right? Yeah, he's <laughs> the, he's the bad guy. Like, but other than him, and he's and, right. and, and like no one's gonna escape from this. Like everyone, mm-hmm. everyone's gonna be damaged. Even the even this like ethereal being that doesn't seem to exist in real in reality, right? That like mm-hmm. lives in. Mm-hmm. He's a ghost in the cabaret, essentially. Like you don't see him you know right. at a house making tea or whatever at any point um that's my theory is that like because you, you're asked to identify with him so much and you're asked to not identify but it's like i guess yeah identify with him because he is this sort of blank slate mm-hmm. that that when he when he becomes a victim at the end it kind of it kind of reflects back on you of like mm-hmm. if you're if you are apathetic so what is happening, you are part of the problem and also you are going to be victimized by the problem. Sure. Um, I guess that's, I, uh, that's, that's who knows. I wish I, I wish, uh, I wish I could ask Sam Mendes, like why yeah, they I, chose to do that. When I saw Mason uh, Alexander Park do it in, in Olney, what they did was he, in the second act, increasingly he would, he, he it would come on stage and it was clear he like in certain sequences the MC had been like beaten up off stage and and was like performing through you know through actual physical pain and sort of delivering those lines it really ups the irony in a in a serious way and i also wonder if it just i mean the show in the 60s was pretty shocking in its subject matter and even so much like things were cut you know like the that are then restored in the movie and then restored in this revival like cliff's bisexuality and sally having an abortion are all things that are just not in the the original production she doesn't have an abortion in the original production like she may have it I, I, that's a good question that one i don't know if it was cut or if it was just downplayed sort of hinted I mean, at more i um, mean that's a big plot point yeah <laughs> that must have been that must be that's probably still in there in the original but but it was sort of but again that was shocking in the in the yeah. mid 60s and in 1998 you know the mtv generation needs something a little more intense and mm-hmm. i think so part of it might have been it's also the thing though when you do a revival and everyone's seen the show how do you still surprise them how do you mm-hmm. still surprise the audience? And it, it's textually all there. Like it's not, there's nothing about the MC that makes you go, it has to be Hitler or it has to be in either direction. He can be either. It 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 is, he's all things to all people. And I think that it is that thing of like, just making him more sympathetic. Like you say, one of us, instead of above us, he is one of us and he is, he's stuck. And then delivering those final like, lines from you know wearing the the prison garb is, is a pretty intense like condemnation and statement in that in that way about the rise of fascism in germany again what the show is about the rise of fascism fascism in germany such a yeah. fun time oh, um, it it's interesting uh the way if, if i remember correctly too the way it's performed so the character is so obviously queer from the beginning right the alan mm-hmm. cumming version i, I mean right. to me the joel gray version is too but i could see how like an audience of the sixties wouldn't have picked up on that. Yes. With, like if he was putting that in there, even in that production, 
But uh, so it's like, given what we understand about what happened, there's no way this person's getting out of this. Like, mm. there's no way this person's coming through. And so if, if memory serves, the way it ends is Alan coming is center stage with, uh, and he's, he's got this large overcoat on, so you can't see what he's wearing underneath. And he mm. does a strip tease with it, like a jaunty, sexy, it's not a sad moment until the second you, he takes it off. And you see that he's wearing uh, like a concentration camp uh, uniform underneath. Mm, mm -hmm. And then he just very quickly bows and walks off and like, and either walks off or blackout. I can't quite remember, but it's, it's super abrupt. They don't, they don't linger on it. Mm. Um, Because I think they, the, the, the point is to shock. Right. Um, Right. So I think that maybe the, the, the queerness and the sexiness that he imbues the role with kind of, Mm -hmm. I'm, what I'm getting at here is I'm curious as to whether or not that was part of it from the beginning when Sam Mendes was like, you know what we should do. Or he, he, he collaborated with Alan Cumming, saw what this person was bringing to the role mm-hmm. and thought about and, and thought of this ending. Yeah, it is a little bit chicken and egg. And it, 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 I, I think that it is the, if you're going to play the MC that way, the logical thing to do is have him end up where he ends up, you know, to have him, if he's going to be more overtly coded. In, in that direction, like you say, like, I, I agree with you. I think Joel Gray's production is, is, is performance is certainly, is certainly coded, but it is, it's also more amorphous. Like he's just sort of like, he's more pansexual. He's like non-gendered. He's, he's, you know, like really Joel Gray in the movie, especially just, you know, if, if, at the, if, it, if the end, he took off all his clothes and it was a woman, you'd just be like, okay, yeah, I, I see that yeah. kind of, you know what or I mean? Or just like, like it a just blank has, slate. Somehow. Exactly. Or it's a Ken doll. Exactly. Yeah, there like a Ken doll. The thing too is like Alan Cummings perform, it is not even, it's not at all uh, subtle. It's not coded. He right. is flirting with men. He's touching men. He's kissing men. He's kissing women. Yeah. It's very, it's this sort of like, like, you know, free for all love fests. Um, right. So they didn't bother to like try to hide it or like they were like, here's what this is. This, look how decadent this place is. You know, it's so right. openly sexual mm-hmm. in all directions. Yeah. And like, so then you have to make the choice if that's the way you're going to go. Like you say, are we going to stick to sort of the more realism of what would happen to a club like that, which is they would be shut down and the people, you know, inside would be imprisoned? Or are you going to like lean even harder in the other direction and 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 sort of have them be like much more militaristic as the show goes on? I think they made the right choice. I think it it is. It, it really brings the MC into the show. Whereas in the earlier versions, he's sort of outside the show. He's above everything that's happening. He's, he's you know, not puppet master exactly, but he is, he doesn't exist, like you say, outside of the stage, even really in the movie. Like he's just, he's just on the stage all the time. And mm-hmm. in the show, without doing a whole lot, you get a real good sense of, of his exterior life of like what, what he's like outside in the world and gives him empathy. And then, you know, if you have empathy and you've got good singing and dancing, then you have a Tony award. And that's, you know, how we, that's how we do these things. You have an icon. He does also get beat up in the show in the 1998 version. There is, I I don't remember if it happens like on, I think it does. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or if he just, he comes on at some, all I remember is right before he comes on to sing, to to introduce Sally for Cabaret, he Mm -hmm. was like bruised and bloody. And that's I, that's I, what it was at Olney too. Yeah. Yeah, I think he gets beaten up 
like just prior to that, like in the scene mm-hmm. just prior, and we see it happening. I think. Okay. It's been yeah. a while since I've seen it. Sure, but you did see it five times though, so like you know. You, you I know I should know it better than this. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, you're letting everyone down, Erica. I don't. I don't know like how you. This is what you. you I expected a certain amount of rote memory. I mean, it's such an a, a hard piece of theater with so many different kind of levels to it. And like I say, I'm I'm so shocked this thing ran as long as it did when it did that it really, for whatever reason, in 1998, I mean, it's such a specifically like a specific time to for this show to like come and just be the right show. It's 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 mm-hmm. shocking almost that like this is the show. It's a revival of Cabaret. Like I say, 30 some odd years after the original, it just slaps. <laughs> right it really right does. Production. Yeah. I think there's something too it. about it being so queer, so openly queer, which maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, there had like Rent obviously existed before this, this version on Broadway, right? right? This production. Right. So it's not like it's the first show or even the second or third show, but there's something about the like, like the unapologetic queerness of it. Mm-hmm. that feels pro- probably felt somewhat revolutionary at the time. Sure. Too, you know, like, yeah. uh, be, because it's not just the MC cliff, like you said, his bisexuality comes back into play. And um, I guess that's the only other, those are the only really characters, but. Uh, well, but then the, then the, the Kit Kat girls or the boys as they become like that, then it's sort of, what I like about the, the th- that sort of reinvention in, in this is that just with like two little tweaks, it kind of filters into everything else. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Where characters sort of are unexpectedly uh, queer and you're sort of like, oh, then that means whoever. Like it just sort of opens it up to the world. Be yeah. like any of these people, you know, it brings it all into the, the fore because we have so little information on everybody. When you learn a little secret about somebody over here, you kind of go, well, I guess that could apply to all these people, couldn't it? Like any of these people. I don't know who anything, I don't know anything about all these people, you know? Yeah. And two ladies in this version, it's a man mm-hmm. and a woman. It's not two women. Right. It's it, things like that where it's, they're just being tongue in cheek about it, but also mm-hmm. it just casually, you know, just casually gay and casually queer. And it's very mm-hmm. cool. And I feel and casually like casually that- Nazis. I mean, on the other side, like they're really like, <laughs> but it, but like it, it's, but it's so true. Like, I mean, the, the moment, I think it's even from the original production, because I think it's in the stage directions that um, Herr Ludwig, who's Dennis O'Hare, who is our Nazi, um, is standing there with his coat on in the scene. And Cl- he comes into this party and Cliff takes his coat and he's got a Nazi armband on. And, it's shocking in 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 the the audience gasps every single you know any production I've seen of Cabaret it it it, mm-hmm. re, it results in a visceral response in the audience but he's just like he was just at a political rally like it's not a it's just a thing and Cliff doesn't even like Cliff knows what it is but he's not bothered by it nobody's bothered by it it doesn't mean anything yet but it means a lot to us yeah. in the house and so ev- everyone just sort of. You know, and then he quickly rises up through the ranks, obviously. And we we don't see a lot of that. We just see what happens later. You know, we see mm-hmm. it after it's already happened. And it's too late now. It's already happened. We can't stop yeah. it. The other cool thing, I, well, cool is the wrong word. The other really interesting thing is I think in this production, the most beautiful song is Tomorrow Belongs to Me. Mm-hmm. Like the performance of it, the the passion that those two, you know, it's, it's Michelle Pock and Dennis O'Hare have when they sing it. Like the 
for this production. They cast very good singers for these two specific roles, right? Mm -hmm. And it's this like, you know, nationalistic anthem. And if you're not, if you let yourself go with it for a second and just listen to these two performers, you're like, man, this is a beautiful song. take a step back and you realize like what it is you're getting swept up in it's right. really interesting yeah it's really good and it's yeah it's also really bad i mean it's it's, it's really terrible, bad it's really bad but it's they're really trying but they i think they're they understand like that an audience that's seeing cabaret will understand yeah. hopefully well, <laughs> like right. what they're like what the implications there are are, are there like the reason I'm, i bring that up is because because like um even cabaret is such a it's a great song wonderful performance but n n the, sally is not meant to be this like she's not audrey mcdonald right she's not belting right. this amazing song that you get really swept up in it but then tomorrow belongs to me is is like that it is it, it, it it's that problem i mean the problem of irony uh is is real in this show um it's one of those like if you're going to have the song be the thing, it has to be this good. It has to be this beautiful. It has to be this catchy. But then at the same time, you've created a beautiful piece of um, Nazi propaganda, Nazi propaganda, ostensibly. Yes. Uh, and it, you know, it's that terrible, terrible thing where, you know, there have been stories of like this being sung at nationalistic rallies and there's this whole oh, thing online. Yeah, there's this whole thing online. Like in the in the, the, the somebody hit me to one time of of, of like um, pe you know modern day Nazis claiming it was not written for the show. It's an actual like Nazi anthem that these people stole and put in this show. And we should be you know singing this song that famously and, gay and Jewish John Kander right, wrote. Right, like, put it oh, in there. Jesus. Yeah, but it's that thing of just like it, it, it's that awful feeling of like when you get it right it's actually sexy like it actually is mm -hmm. the thing it's supposed to be it's something i really thought about a lot this is jumping far afield but i swear i will land this plane um cool of when i watched the movie uh wolf of wall street oh absolutely is a movie i have my own sort of issues with on the on, on a lot of it but like in general i think it's a really incredibly well-made movie but it like it, while it is a condemnation of the American capitalist system, it is also without question a celebration of the hedonism that results from that. And yes. it if you watch the whole three hour epic, you get it. But like if you just watch clips on YouTube, you just think it's about a bunch of guys doing drugs and, and having sex. And isn't that cool? And it's the same thing. I mean, not to harp on Martin Scorsese, but it's the same thing that happens with with gangster movies. It's the same. I was know, just going to say, Goodfellas, yeah. Goodfellas easily falls could fall into that yes, trap too. Could if fall you're into not, that category. The thing yeah. is, if you're not paying attention, if you're watching something right. like at half speed, you're not really paying attention, or you or you're frankly too stupid to get it, which happens a lot. Um, yeah. Then yeah, no, I, Wolf of Wall Street is a perfect example of that actually, because you're right. Yeah. It, it like. It is a condemnation of of 
of what these guys were doing, but damn, that looked cool. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And they look it, good doing it. You're like, oh it's my just, God. It's yeah. like Leonardo DiCaprio driving a, a Ferrari through, you know, and like it's right. Yeah. I totally get it. Like uh, I think theater can in some way insulate itself from that by being like not for mass audiences and being a smaller. Well, and be, yeah. Um, and being unstoppable. I mean, it's a performance, obviously, like it's happening right in front of you. It's not like a movie you can stop and pause and rewind. But then we do have the cast album. And like, what is that? You know, I wonder, that, that is super interesting that you said that. That So is it Tomorrow Belongs to Me that has been played in like nationalist rallies? As, because- I, as I understand it. Yes. That is I, interesting. I, I'm now like quickly Googling to make sure that I'm not making an idiot of myself. But, no, no, um, no. I, I believe you actually. And it's a, it, the thing too is, is the song, if you took it out of this show and put it in, um, I can't think of a show, but any other show that's about like a coming of age, you know, then it also, yes. like, it's not, it's not specifically about Germany in the thirties. It's not, it doesn't say the word Nazi. It doesn't, it does say fatherland, but it doesn't say like, it doesn't say Hitler at any point. It's just uh, this sort of like rallying cry of a song. So mm-hmm. I, it's curious to me that people would take it out of context and still see that in it. Yeah. If you go to the uh, Wikipedia page for this song, which I will link to, the entire second half is all about the the nationalist uh, adaptation of Tomorrow oh, Belongs to Me. That's um, so depressing. It's incredibly, but it's, it, it's the, it's that, I mean, is, God, I don't want to act like also I'm like some kind of David, David Foster Wallace acolyte, but like there is a problem with irony. <laughs> like there is an issue that arises. If you do irony really, really well, you actually end up doing the thing. Like that's yeah. the problem. And they did the thing, you know, like they just did. And I don't think they made a mistake. I think they did the right thing, but we have this problem now, you know what I mean? Like you have this sort of issue where you're giving aid and comfort to the enemy, even if that's not what you intended to win. What you intended was the exact opposite. So I, yeah, I don't, I have so many, like, I don't have an answer. It's also one of those terrible things where like, I have a lot of questions. I have no answer. I don't know what the right answer is because, you know, I think it's, I think it's, I don't think you should not be ironic. I think you like, it's a great theatrical moment. It works on a lot of levels. At the same time, it makes me squirmy, which also, again, is good. Like, it's good that that song makes me squirmy. It's, it's supposed, supposed to, make, to me make you squirmy yeah. when you're watching it. But um, I'm curious, do you happen to know, was it in the 60s production, that song? Oh, yes, I know that it was. It is yeah, in there. Yeah. Okay. It's in the original. It was, It was. Um, though it was not as, it's the movie that really brings it, like, to the fore. Mm-hmm. Um, and with with that great sequence because it's it's like the i think it's the only song in um in that's the not, movie that's not in the cabaret yeah yes exactly it's the only one that's like that that is performed outside of the cabaret so it, it stands out in the movie in a really and he shoots it in this great like sound of music parody mm-hmm. style with the blonde haired little kid in the uniform like it, it feels very like von trapp's gone wrong the sun on the Tomorrow 
belongs to me. And it, I think it's the movie that really makes it. The like that's what then when they did the ad the nineties they were like looking at the movie for that being because they have the thing with the. Uh, the the gramophone where he, with the little boy's voice singing it, which is I don't I do not believe in the original production. Um, yeah. And uh, yes, that's right. It was performed. I mean, I'm now reading this on the uh, on the Wikipedia page. In the original production, it was performed by a male choir um, of wait of the waiting stuff. So this was written in the 60s, I presume, right? The yeah. original mm-hmm. production. So we're just after World War II. I would have yes. to imagine like any in any indication that someone is a Nazi would be extremely frowned upon, right? In, yes. in, in, oh, yes. in our society at that time. Yes. Then, you, you know, that continues for a long, 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 long time. Right. Even in 1998, right? Like all the way up. Right. Uh, and, and now... We got Nazis yeah. on the streets, yeah, and it's and it's like it's hard because you know the person who wrote it couldn't have conceived of that, right? right? Was was not was thinking it will this will likely never come back because we right. defeated it so soundly and everyone saw how evil it was, right. and and then it just kind of creeps back in. This is very depressing. I apologize. Um, <laughs> what a what a depressing conversation. I thought I was just here to to dish about which actresses were good and which ones were bad. And well, so I, but I think <laughs> but, yeah, we're hang on, we're gonna get to that in one second. But I but I do. But I, yeah, it's, it's almost like yeah. like society at large has gotten worse, and right. and like it's it's hard because you're it, it, it it's I'm not even sure it's ironic in the '90s. I think it's a fairly straightforward, like like the audience is aware that this is terrible. Right. But and I think it's still, but the, the, I think the irony comes more from the fact that they're singing a really good song. Like I, what I mean by that is like the Nazi song isn't a bad song. It isn't off. Like there's a version of this show where the Nazi song is like out of pitch and it's really horrible to listen to. Yeah. And it doesn't go. And that's not what this show is. This is a show about, you know, seduction and theatricality and how you have to be careful about these things. So, of course, the Nazi yeah. song is a good song. Like, it's a very well-written tune. Um, and also, Wisely doesn't talk about... It's just nationalistic, like you say. It doesn't have direct national socialist connections. It is just general, a really nationalistic sounding. And they sing about the Rhine and they sing about that the stuff that you... Mm-hmm you know, all the imagery in it works really well. And that's another clever piece of it, that it's very, like you say, it, it's it's detached from specifics. So it can kind of float throughout the entire, the entire yeah. thing. Yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard, you know, it's a hard thing. Cause it, I think when you create art, you probably aren't thinking 50 years ahead. Sure. You, know? you, you have absolutely no way of knowing how something will be, 
reinterpreted and reinterpreted. And yeah. so I, I keep bringing it, I keep thinking back to like the person who wrote it in 1960. Mm-hmm. I, I'm making that date up. I don't know when, but, um, th- that but around they, then, certainly yeah. around then, right. Late fifties, mm-hmm. early sixties would have yeah. just not ever conceived of that probably. Yeah. Um, they were just trying to write a show. I mean, this is like, they, when they wrote that song, they probably didn't even know if the show was going to get put up. So like, forget, you know, yeah. legacy. They're just trying to eat yeah. at that point. So, yeah. It's I don't it's tough, but I do yeah okay we're going to abandon this line of thought because we don't have any answers. Uh, <laughs> we only have questions, but we are. I do want to ask you about Mary McCormick. Is that a is that a story you could tell on the air? Or yeah. Okay, tell That's me about Mary one, McCormick. Actually. So of all the women I've seen play Sally Bowles, she's the least famous, right? I would say that's sure. a fair assessment, right? Certainly at the a... time, yeah, she's more famous now than she was then. I would think. Yeah, I mean, Jennifer Jason Lee, uh, you know, yeah. Emma Stone, obviously, and J- Michelle Williams. But so I saw her twice. So I okay. saw her, I think her second performance, first or second performance, um, oh, wow. really early on in the run. And she's trying things. You can tell she's trying things. And it's mm-hmm. very different from what Jennifer Jason Lee was doing, which was this very, um, Jennifer Jason Lee has a very like old timiness to her, which is why she gets cast in like things like Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle. And, mm-hmm. you know, like she's, there's something about her that just seems out of time and out of, she's not modern. And that's not what Mary McCormick was bringing to it. Sure. So I could see her, she was trying things. And one thing she tried that I thought was super interesting was, uh, Cliff asks her at one point, like, so where are you from? Like, what, what's your, you know, he's just asking her questions about her background and she has this big big broad mayfair british accent the whole time right as they mm-hmm. all did right this, oh darling how do, i'm my too marvelous too too wonderful right. and she just goes cliff don't ask me where i'm from and she dropped the british accent Ooh. and i was like oh that's, that's so cool and it felt intentional. I don't think she was just like slipping because she was sure. not like not not dealing with the accent very well. I think sure. it was intentional. She doesn't do it anywhere else in the show. Right. And and um and the friend I was with noticed it too. And I was like, that's fantastic. And then I have to say, I saw her. I don't know how many, like maybe a month or two later again. Mm-hmm. And she took that out. And that was the only mm-hmm. time she did that. And my guess is they they slapped. Her on the wrist yeah they probably told her oh, oh. don't do that yeah yeah don't do that that kind of breaks what we're doing here right. Sally is english in this production right. we're not we're not doing the manelli thing here right. but it's something so fascinating because it was this like this moment of complete and utter openness in the character that mm-hmm. you don't get ever really um mm-hmm. and and it and i was like oh she could be from anywhere like she's mm-hmm. not English. She could she could be American. She who knows where the hell this woman is from. Right. And and the person playing Cliff, I I think it was still John Benjamin Hickey at the time. Mm-hmm. Looked taken aback. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Like wasn't expecting it. <laughs> sure. And was like, okay, and like kind of ruefully smiled and was like, okay, we I right. no more questions. And it was sure. such a it was at this point, this was the second time I'd seen it. So mm-hmm. I'd seen it once before. And it, it's just so fabulous when you see a show more than once and you get to see the moments it changes in real time. And mm-hmm. you get to see like an authentic moment on stage where the two actors are trying something new. And he 
is maybe not privy to what she's trying and is like sure. like in the moment with her. It was very cool. It was, it was, really it was cool. one of the coolest choices. I thought she was very good. I thought uh, Mary McCormick was uh, a very solid. I, I think it, I think I may have liked her more than Jennifer Jason Leigh. Hmm. I have That's to say, I like Jennifer sure. Jason Leigh too. Everyone was good. Baseline good. Sure. Um, it's just, they all brought very different things to it. And I felt like Mary McCormick's performance felt the most um, assured, I guess. Okay. The, yeah, like she was sure. brave. She was brave. She was trying things, and 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 dropping them when they didn't work. Um, okay. Yeah. It, yeah. Everyone was very good. Uh, uh, the Emma Stone brought this kind of like sweetness to the role, which no mm-hmm. none of the others had had. Where you really genuinely um, were like, oh, what a nice girl. <laughs> I hope nothing bad happens to this nice girl. Right. Um, and yeah, and I, th- I talked about Michelle Williams earlier. It was, it's, sure. it's, it's an interesting role. I think maybe because it's a little underwritten, like you'd said earlier, it's, mm-hmm. it lends itself to just kind of deep interpretation. Yeah. You got to fill in the gaps and mm-hmm. you got to bring yourself to it and, and, and really be that kind of open and weird and scared and vulnerable, but also like self-assured in that kind of live for today sort of way. Yeah. Um, that's it's the sort of like cunning airhead that sort of Liza Minnelli brings to it that I think is again is like a stamp on the role where it's just like, you know, are you as dumb as you sound? No, you're not. Well, maybe you are actually. I don't quite understand. Like at the end, because when you end with Sally, she ends in such an odd place. Like it's just so, like she's tethered. She can't leave. You know, Cliff's trying to get her to to go with him to to France, and she just will not go. In this very like, like she like I said like she can't go. It's not even that she won't go. She can't go, and it's such an odd. It's a very odd scene, very odd moment before she sings cabaret and before like we get to that finale. She she's in like I don't feel like I understand her. I think I understand her less at the end of the show, which I think is on purpose. I think we're really supposed to just be like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you do, but man, like you're something. That's for damn yeah. sure. God, you're. I think she's just afraid. She's afraid of everything. And so mm-hmm. she she refuses to leave because she this is all she knows. And she's sort of successful here. Like she's sort of she has a place to live. She has a job. You know, she knows what she's doing. She's she feels safe when she's on stage. Um, I don't know. It's cu- curious in this production. I always so the Liza Minnelli version when she sings cabaret, there's something like celebratory about it at the end. Yes. Mm-hmm. This production ends with like Sally singing cabaret she has a nervous breakdown almost like halfway through the song and then rallies and brings herself back to performing the song as though she were really performing it for an audience for the first time and then the lights go down and she throws the microphone mm-hmm. she like oh she like kicks it away or something and it, if you see like the jane herrick's version uh like on youtube she's furious she just screams the last the last like 30 seconds of the song she's not even singing she's just screaming it and it's this like really like I, I got the impression that after after this moment, Sally does leave, possibly, mm-hmm. and go do so not with Cliff, not not trying to be like a, a mom a, to anyone at this point, right? Like she's just mm-hmm. she just is is done. Like yeah. she's so heartbroken. Um, which is I think a way better interpretation than the Liza Minnelli than the film, which kind of well, paints her as like loving this too much to leave it 
And it's the it's almost a parallel with where um, Fräulein Schneider is at the end in, in a very sad and kind of stuck way where she has yeah. to not be with the man she loves who who she understands more than he does probably because he's willfully not understanding like things are going very badly and you you know i'm i can't sign on to be with you because like it's much more overt like clifford's trying to get sally out he's he's you know he's an american he can flee he's gonna you know he's gonna do all that stuff and she just won't go whereas Herr Schultz almost wants Fräulein Schneider to go to sort of escape with him deeper into this like fantasy. And she just will like, she can't, she's very smart. I mean, she's a very, very savvy, intelligent woman. And she knows like, this is a bad idea. And it sucks that it's a bad idea. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's a bad idea. And you need to face up to the fact that things are not going well in a very bad way. And, you know, so it's a lot of characters in the show sort of ignoring reality and, eventually having to face it like eventually everybody it catches up with everyone and yeah Yeah. it ain't ain't great i mean maybe that is the reason for that ending too then right like everyone Mm -hmm. is willfully ignoring what except for cliff who sees it and is 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 like i gotta get out of here like everyone's willfully ignoring what's going on until like that shocking last moment with dmc in prison garb and you're like okay so that ignoring the problem is the absolute worst thing you could possibly it force, do. I mean, it forces the, the 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 big decision the characters have to make in Act Two is whether they're going to continue to ignore the problem or if they're going to live with that. I mean, because Clifford is involved in in smuggling for the Nazis, and that's sort of how they make their living in the in the second half of the show. And there's a point where he just can't do it anymore. Like he he the the better angels of his nature take over, and he has to like get out. And mm-hmm. it's, it, but like, so, I mean, like I say, you know, Fraulein Schneider has that. Everybody has those moments where it's either fish or cut bait and not everybody goes with reality. In fact, most of the characters don't. Like most of them go away so the other true way. True to life. People can't yeah. conceive of something so horrible happening. And, you know, yeah. even though, even if they're right in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's really dark. It's, it's very dark, but it's also very smart because it's, mm-hmm. I, it would feel a lot more preachy if the show were about a bunch of people who are like, rah, rah, let's fight the Nazis. Right. And, and this, this is real. This is how people really re- react to terrible things happening around them. And it's sad, but it's, it's very true to life. And that makes the tragedy so much worse. Mm-hmm. It's so much richer. I mean, it's just such a, yeah. and why people keep doing it. I mean, it gets to, that's why you get to be that way because it 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 wouldn't survive if it if it didn't have that that kind of darkness that depth and that just general pain within it mm-hmm. like it wouldn't continue to go um speaking of pain you have a podcast uh <laughs> that's a terrible transition uh <laughs> So, uh, t- no, that, that, that it was, is I'm, painful to listen. I'm gonna, to. Le- I'm gonna leave it, it in because it was funny, but it, like, <laughs> but it, it's not, it's not a, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I, I like you guys. We'll, we'll go for the joke over the, over the genuine emotion. Absolutely, um, please. <laughs> but so, uh, you, your podcast is that aged well. Tell the folks about that aged well. Sure. Uh, it's uh, uh, my my very long friend, my long term friend, Paul Keola. He's very and I, long, Paul. Very He's long. He's a very long, long tall person. <laughs> uh, long term friend, Paul Keola, and I uh, started the podcast about four years ago. We were talking about the movie Overboard one day. 
and he had never seen it. Which he he had a, a a much nicer outdoorsy childhood than I did. I had a much indoor, I had an indoorsy childhood, so I watched sure. a lot of movies, and he did not. And I was like, well, here's how here's what happens. This guy is hired by this rich lady who then doesn't pay him, and then the rich lady has amnesia. So he right. like kidnaps her from the hospital and like brings him brings her home and like tells her he, she's his wife so that she has to cook and clean for him. And Paul like the, the look of horror on his face <laughs> as I'm telling him the movie. And I was like, but it's so good. But it's really <laughs> funny. And like Goldie Hawn and Kurt, uh, Kurt Russell are so sexy in it. And he's like, what are you talking about? And that's how this that's how our podcast sort of was born from that conversation. So that aged well, it's predicated on the fact that like we look back at the pop culture of our youth from the 80s and 90s and kind of figure out, A, does it age well? Most things don't. Right. Um, and B, like, w- how did that inform who we became as people? Like, what mm-hmm. are we like? Like, what am I willing to overlook sometimes? Because Overboard taught me. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that you know, sometimes your Kurt Russell is the bad guy, but he's so damn he's so darn but cute. He's Kurt Russell. He's Get Kurt out Russell. He's Kurt Russell. That's the so, thing yeah, of it. We we look back at uh movies, TV shows. We've done a, a couple episodes that are just music videos, like an old MTV music videos. Um and uh yeah, new new episodes every Monday. Yeah, it's a really fun podcast. It's a really interesting question. I, I think that people don't uh, ask often enough because like the only real test of any piece of art to me is time and does it still you know does it survive and like you say is it is it still good even though it's not good like is it still is uh-huh. it still working um i particularly enjoy if you're if you're looking for an episode to hop on with i recommend the come um i was about to say coming to america it's not coming to america it's an american tale is actually what i was going to say we did um, coming to america that actually is pretty okay Right, but it was it's it's the uh, 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 the American tale because I like the, there's a repeated refrain through the thing where you're just like, and again, not as racist as we would have thought it was, and this is really like, <laughs> like don't get me wrong, like so, certainly racist here and there, but like not like again, we would have if for a movie made when it's made, I would have expected worse. I would have expected and, a lot more racism. Yeah. Yes, you you guys are both sort of going into this like ready to be, ready to be guarded. And you're like actually. You know, oh, pretty, oh, pretty okay uh, overall, uh, which was was a delight to listen to. <laughs> Thank you. We just recorded an episode on Con Air, and I had forgotten there was a gay character wow, in Con Air. Oh, there sure is. And oh, there's a lot of characters in Con Air. So there's too many characters in Con Air. That's a whole oh other topic. Gosh. But like, there is a queer character in Con Air. I would, I wouldn't even classify this person as gay. I think now they'd be, they'd be considered trans. But mm-hmm. and so the minute they show up on screen, my I'm like, oh god, oh no, 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 no. How is this movie gonna be terrible to this person? How are how many times am I gonna have to hear racial like um not racial yeah. like homo- homophobic slurs? And the movie just zags instead of zigs and is like so wonderful to this character. Every other character, these hardened, terrible villains are just mm-hmm. so like positive towards the queer character, and we were like Okay, so, so you know what? That aged well. Zero Con Air one. Very well. Good job, Con Air. So the the show the podcast is that aged well. You can find that wherever podcasts are sold. Um, mm-hmm. Where else can people find you on the internet? I am uh, notoriously a luddite. I don't really participate, but Paul uh, does, and uh, he you can find us at that aged well. 
uh, at uh, on Instagram, on Twitter, on uh, I think those are it actually right now. Uh, He's going to listen to this and kill me and be like, you listen every week to me tell everybody where all where all of our socials are. And I you could and it's the point of the show where I am checked out. I was going to uh, say, yeah. you don't. You sit there quietly while he I, does it, right? I That's close all, all my tabs do. on my laptop. Right. Like, well, I'm... Get... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. We are, uh, we are on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Uh, we will be on Patreon sometime uh, in July as well. Ooh. So, uh, yes, you can... You can uh, oh, cool. Yes. If, if, cool. if, if you feel so inclined. Sounds good. I dig that. Really good stuff. Uh, uh yeah well paul will be on here himself uh Good. shortly so i can't he, can, wait. he will he can he do will all the plugging excoriate <laughs> me for that conversation i can't wait well, to hear it well no it'll be good because we'll record his episode before your episode comes out so then he'll get you'll get it later in, in the <laughs> just by text be like what you know we'll keep it rolling that break oh my gosh erica thank you so much thank you this was a pleasure maybe this time I'll be lucky Maybe this time he'll stay Maybe this time For the first time Love won't hurry away He will hold me fast I'll be home at last Not a loser anymore Like the last time and the time before The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review the original cast on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help other listeners find the show. Go to bit.ly slash originalcaststore for original cast merchandise like t-shirts, tote bags, and more. Become a patron of the original cast at patreon.com slash originalcastpod so you can listen to our bonus podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. On the socials, we're at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. Thank you so much. My thanks to Erica Vialba for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn. And I can't. I have rehearsal. All the odds are-